Well, what you have just seen is a tiny little bit of the wonderful treasure we have in this fellowship by those that have got to what the scripture calls the wonderful blessing of old age. And um, may I encourage you to avail yourself to that treasure for as long as we have uh, all those people with us. Kia ora, good morning. I am going to follow on from that. Um, Firstly, I want to thank you all for all the love and encouragement that you poured out on my family, as you always do, going through a difficult time with the passing of my dad. And we are all very sad. It's sad to be up here this morning and just look out and see where he would be sitting. And there was his boy up speaking with his beaming smile, and uh, I really miss that. Um, When I got asked to speak on this topic, I was uh, excited for him to hear me, and sadly, I'm just a few days late. But um, the topic that I am speaking on this morning, which is generational transfer, uh, was the most passionate topic that he lived for all his life. And um, for those who have, have not heard our family story Our family, three generations ago from me, began in poverty. Uh, My grandparents, my grandfather had come back from the First World War and taken over his parents' farm. And he had a first mortgage from the bank and he had uh, taken a second mortgage from his dad. And as things, he's worked hard on the farm, raised a champion dairy herd, but it was a struggle because of the mortgages and the debt. Then his father got a very lucrative offer for the farm and thought, great, I want to take this. So he went to my grandfather, knowing he couldn't pay it, and said, I want the second mortgage back. My grandfather went to the bank, couldn't raise the money, and so his own father foreclosed on him and sent him with his wife and my dad as a six-month-old baby off the farm with the only money was for the sale of their herd. And so they came to Upper Hutt with the little that remained. As my grandfather walked through the gate, leaving the farm, he made the statement, this will never happen to a Billington again. And through sheer hard work and determination, Dad and my grandfather overcame that past and established a family line that is now in its fifth generation in Upper Hutt. Each of us has been able to start a little bit further ahead and has um, been required to fight less battles than the previous generation by applying the principles that my grandfather and my dad built out of this happenings in life. My grandfather worked incredibly hard. In fact, he was still working digging drains, uh, hand-digging drains with my dad when he was 80 and was uh, very well known throughout Upper Heart through that. So they overcame what was the worst of family, including betrayal. But instead of being bitter about it, they set out to create the best of family for the rest of us. And the way they did this was planned, determined, and executed very intentionally, and I had this drummed up to me, drummed into me, as did my sister from a little boy before I even started school. 
the basic principle which my dad and my grandfather, my grandfather just lived three doors up the road. My dad built the home that he passed away in uh, nearly two weeks ago and in, in on what was the family farm in Sanford Street. So I grew up with cows wandering around the house and my grandfather's cows. And so we, we grew up in that. So I was able to see my grandfather daily. And the basic principle that they used was that you train each generation to manage their own lives very well, to receive an inheritance and to leave an inheritance to those following. Now, this inheritance is not focused on money. My grandfather never had a lot of money. Dad uh, was able to take the next step and uh, got into business and did very well. He was a very astute and clever businessman. He could have been a multimillionaire, but throughout his life he gave most of his money away to whoever needed it and people in need. Three or four years ago, he called a family meeting, which is part of our family's tradition, which I'll talk to you about later, and said to myself and my sister, I've helped and supported you guys. You guys have done very well, but I look out at my grandchildren and see that they're not in their own homes, and I want to divest a big part of the inheritance to get them into the home. My sister and I agreed, and he did that. So all the grandchildren now live Uh, in their own homes. They don't own them, but it certainly gave them an amazing start. So my dad taught me that wealth is not about money. That's part of it. And he clearly knew the difference between wealth and riches. And if you want to go onto the fellowship website, you'll see a PowerPoint up there where I have put on there the difference between wealth and riches. Uh, if you're interested, there's a copy of my book in the hub, which you can purchase, and it's got a whole chapter on that in it. So it's amazing because my father and my grandfather were not Christians. They were not believers. They never read the Bible. And it was cr- incredible for me in getting saved at 27 years of age to realize that not only was this in Scripture, but it was a central theme of it. And my frustration was and still is that you don't often hear it taught. I have taught it all over the world and indoctrinated my family, my children, and my grandchildren with it. So we discover, and I'm not going to go into this a lot. I've done so much teaching on this here over the years. It's in the fellowship library. It's up on the web. I'll put some more material up this week. But we discover in Genesis chapter 12 that God commissions Abraham to go out from his home to a new land. And he then states that from God states that from Abraham's seed, a new nation, which becomes the nation of Israel, is going to be established. But he takes it further than that. And you'll find that in Galatians 3, into the new covenant, that this carries on in a slightly different way, but includes everybody in Christ. But God emphasizes to Abraham the whole issue of generational transfer. In Genesis 18, 19, when talking to Sarah, and Sarah's having her chuckle about becoming pregnant at 90 years of age, um, God speaks through the angel and says, For I have chosen him, him being uh, Abraham, so that he may command his children and his household 
after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. So what God is saying is this plan that I have cannot be achieved in one generation. He frequently says in the Old Testament, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why does he introduce himself like that? Because God's plan is always to work through three generations. Now, don't just think your children by flesh and blood. All of us, as we're getting older, should be looking down to the next generation to call those people up into the things God's taught us, shown us, and the journey and the vision that he's led us into. If you only have a vision that's, that's going to last for your lifetime alone, you have not got the whole vision that God has for you. The vision God will give you if you're plugged into him will be too great for you to achieve in your three score plus 10, 70 years, if we're blessed enough to get them in life, it will be too big to achieve it. And I want to talk about that. In Psalm 45, verse 16 to 17, it says this, In place of your fathers will be your sons. Get that, brothers and sisters. In place of the work God has called us to do will be a coming generation. You shall make them princes in all the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. See, God intends us to see our life in the context of what happens not only with us, but also the generations that follow us. The vision God gives each of us transcends our own life by God's intention. We should not be overwhelmed by the size of that vision and say, I can't possibly achieve it. I am 62 years of age. What I clearly know God's called me to do, I cannot get done in whatever years I have left on this planet. I can't do it. So I have to look to my flesh and blood children and my family, yes. But I have to look to the younger generation, the people coming up behind me and realize that a lot of what God's given me to achieve is going to have to be done through them after I'm gone. I have to be doing that. And I am doing that constantly in my life. I love playing on the playing field. But as we get older, we've got to be coaches and mentors, and we've got to be prepared to be replaced in a lot of the things we do and invest down and call the next generation up to get out there and do what we no longer have the ability to do. Psalm 127, verses 3 and 4, and I've got the wrong reference. Don't worry about that. I do have the verse. It may be, it may be up on the PowerPoint, but it says this, "'In place of your fathers will be your sons.'" You shall make them princes in the earth. I will cause your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, the people will give you thanks forever and ever. So children or the next generations are arrows that are to be shot across time. And this is how we beat age and how we beat the allotted 70 years of our life. Children or the next generation are given to parents to fulfill their own unfulfilled visions and dreams and this will only happen 
if our children understand and have faith in what it is God has spoken to us. That's why God told the people of Israel when he led them out of Egypt, remember what I have done and tell it to your children and to your children's children and talk about it first thing in the morning and in the middle of the day and at bedtime and at night. Talk about these things because you must continue with this plan. Up until the last 100 years or so, the assumption was always that the children would embrace the same occupation as their parents. Now, you might sit there and the younger people think, you've got to be kidding me. I dug drains with my father for years as a kid. When I was six and he started to take me to work, I thought it'd be fun to play. And I found out to my horror, he got this little shovel off the truck. And he said, I bought this for you. Get in the drain and start digging. Well, I didn't follow in his footsteps. (laughs) I saw the light. I went and became a mechanic. It was easier than digging drains. My father wanted me to pick up his business from him, and I said, no, I won't. I'm not interested. So my father had a conversation with my mother, which he told me about later. And I became a mechanic and became qualified and wanted to be self-employed. My father said to my mother, Bruce won't join my business, so I'll join his. See, he sold his investment properties. He knew nothing about running a service station, and he never did get involved in that. He sold his investment properties, gave me the money, and lent me the money. I paid him back, interest-free, and said, go and buy a plot of land and build your business. This is what I've worked for. And I did. It's still there at the bottom of Moonshine Road next to Upheart College. It's still in the family. I never sold it. So the assumption was that the children would embrace the same occupation of their parents. And, of course, agrarian societies couldn't survive without that happening. And the family's last name often reflected their trade. However, the presupposition in the Western world today is that kids will raise up, and we've raised our kids, we've worked hard, we want them out of our home, and we want to get back with our, on with our honeymoon. And the kids are saying, we can't get out of here quick enough. Mum and Dad are dumb and stupid. Just look at the way they try and use computers. (laughs) My three-year-old, he's not three anymore, was better on my iPad when I bought it than I was. But we're actually not dumb and stupid because we've journeyed with God for a long time and we've learned some things and we can save you some heartache if you want to listen to us, and you should. My father used to say to me, Bruce, when you're 17, you think your father's stupid. And he said to me, when you're in your 20s, you think, well, he knows a bit. And he says, when you're in your 30s, you go to him for advice. I went to him for advice just before my 30s, I think, but I could relate to what he was saying. But it's a lie from the devil. Because what the devil wants is for each generation to make the same mistakes as the last one so they never progress. They never build and establish the kingdom of God. They never get it going because they're learning the hard way. And at the time they really start to get some wisdom, it's about time they're leaving the planet. And that's never the way God intended it to be. And it's the curse of the Western society. If you want a big name for it, it's called existentialism. 
Every generation does what is right in their own sight without any input or picking up from the one that went before them. Whether our children follow in our own, I didn't with my father and my kids don't fix cars. But whether our children follow in our own, in our own vocation or not, we should all remain drinking from the same well that is non-negotiable if we want the full blessing of God to flow through our family unit. We must all remain drinking from the same well. Beginning with my grandparents down to what is now five generations, this is a blueprint we have used for doing family. In Psalm 37, it talks about who will inherit the land. Its key focus is on the fact that the righteous will inherit the land. Now, under the new covenant, land is still important, but under the new covenant, land is the kingdom of God. Now, if the righteous inherits the land, it is our mandate as parents or as the next generation up to train our children or the next generation down for an inheritance. Our family and community is called to be a dynasty. This community here, a dynasty of influences in society. We are meant to make our mark. Society is meant to feel the effects of us being here generationally, and the fruit of that should be evident and seen as the years go by. When anybody comes on this land, they should feel the fact that something is happening here that is remarkable and infectious and life-changing because it should come out of the very soil in the air that is here. How do we do this? By training our children in the way we, they should go. This is in the principles that allow them to properly govern every aspect of life that God gives them to steward. And I'm going to get practical, but it's only about what we did as a family. Everybody has to find their own journey through this. But it's an ongoing mission. We gave our children pocket money before they started school. And we trained them to, that they were only stewards of it to work out what they should do with it. Years ago, when people, the people who have gone to be with the Lord now used to count the offering, they used to love the little envelopes from Carl and Marie with on it, this is for Jesus, and a portion of their pocket money put in it. They were allowed to spend some, and they were told they needed to save some. When Marie went off to law school, I couldn't teach Marie law, although I have a huge passion for law. I wanted to be a lawyer, but wasn't clever enough to make it. When Marie went off to law school, I said to her, Marie, I can't train you in the ways of law. If you're going to practice law, you have to get a qualification at the university, which she did. But I said, I can train you about what God says about law. So when Marie went to law school through the day, she studied law at law school. And when she came home with me at night, we studied the first five books of the Bible and learned everything God said about law. 
So when Marie graduated from the bar, I can't to the bar, I can't remember what year it was, Marie knew what the world system says about law, and she knew what the first five books of the Bible and a lot of other things in Scripture said about law, and she had one Bible specifically set aside that she just used where she'd marked every Scripture in there relating to law. Because we were training our kids, you can't say you're a lawyer and not know God's law. Because that's where it all came from. I hope you understand that. I hope you understand the basis of Western law came from the scriptures. It's moved a long way from it at that point of time. But that was the essence of the Western law. We make a huge mistake as parents by focusing on salvation and heaven. with our children. Our role is to train our children for the whole of life in Christ, not just salvation. Vanessa and I hardly ever spoke to our children about heaven and hell. I know they're there. I know they're real. But they are not the issues of life and they have very little relevance to it. And they are not what the scriptures are trying to prepare us for. There is segment in there, which obviously we should know. But that's not what the scripture's about. The whole narrative from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 is about the story of the kingdom of God and how it unfolds from one generation to another. And salvation is an entry point for those who don't grow up in Christ, but it's the beginning of the journey. It is not and never has been an end. Carl and Marie were given no concept of life without Christ. We endeavoured to demonstrate every aspect of life in and through Christ, and that meant their assumption was there was nothing, including playing rugby on the rugby field. Carl was the captain of the first 15, being in the debating club, sitting with your feet up at the beach, enjoying the water and swimming and being on holiday. Everything that they did, we pulled back to them finding it in Christ. Dennis Peacock made this great statement when I first started working with him. He said, there's something, Bruce, you're going to have to learn. He said, we love life. We work hard. We play hard. But he said, the thing you're going to have to learn if you're going to be working with me is that character never takes a holiday. It's never fine to get a little drunk. It's never fine to curse and swear occasionally because you just want to take the the strain off and put your feet up. It's never fine to cheat a little bit in your business affairs. Character never takes a holiday, even when you're on holiday. Life on earth is about the kingdom of God and it calls us to embrace the whole of life with passion, purpose and a generational plan. As parents and grandparents, does this mean we are involved in our children's lives forever? Yes. Yes. It's a lifetime sentence. Of course, this is a constant changing scene. And once our children are married, God draws some clear boundaries around the relationships between you and your children. 
I can't go into all of that today. I've got teaching everywhere on it. But as parents and grandparents, we have a lifetime mission in these areas. I am still hands-on with my children, and I am hands-on with my eight and soon to have nine grandchildren. They get no choice. So how do we do this? I, again, there's a wealth of teaching and time what I'm saying, but I want to spend the rest of the time on some practice. This is whether you're a parent, whether you're a grandparent. This is whether you're still uh, in living in your parents' place. And it's whether you're none of those things, but you have a generation behind, behind you, which most of us do. The first one is don't be religious. God is a person, not a set of rules. He lives, he thinks, he breathes, and he has feelings. He wants a relationship, even with the youngest of children amongst us. We told our kids why God said the things he did. God was never the don't person in our lives. When they learned that you're not to have sex before marriage, we told them why. Because sex is pleasurable. Anybody who's participated in it knows that. But it was designed for protection to be expressed only in a covenant. And that covenant brings wonderful protection in so many different ways. We taught our kids about the covenant. It became obvious for them not to express sexuality before they were married. Carl got up in front of the whole university in Waikato leading the debating club and said, hi, on a particular topic they were doing, it was relevant. He said, hi, my name's Carl Billington. I'm 20 years old and I'm a virgin. It was never anything shameful. People would say, why? And he'd talk to them about covenant, not about because God said don't. Give your kids or the future generation, clear reasons for any restraints God places on their lives. Second point, this is fun. Study your family history. There are keys to finding what God has given you as a family and they will flow on somewhere or somehow. For example, for as many generations as I can go back, All the Billingtons were involved in public speaking. My grandfather, father, obviously grandfather, great-grandfather, and further back. For some reason, God has put that down through our family. So I do it. My son does it. My daughter doesn't get much time, but she's an extremely capable speaker. It's something God has put into our family. We find some clues. All my family on my father's side and uh, for my kids on Vanessa's side have all been self-employed. My father decided when I was six years old that I was going to be a businessman and self-employed. He didn't ask me. But he began to train me from that age on to manage and handle my own business and the principles used in it. It's part of our family history. Go back and discover the commonality. I don't care if your previous generations have not been Christians. None of mine are. 
But you will see God's design. You will see some commonalities coming down through your family and you will discover where God is using them and it will help you prepare and embrace the calling he has on your life. Marie could never understand why she had such a love and passion for the sea. And she went on that boat. One was the spirit of New Zealand, the other spirit of adventure. And she went round all them. She loved the sea. So when they were 12 or 13, we gave them the project to explore their family history. And I'd just forgotten to tell her. But my mother's father, her great-grandfather, was a seaman. He spent his whole life at sea. That passion was in Marie, and she went and expressed it. So look up your family history and see what you see. Now, here's a negative side. If you see some negative things in your family history, if you see that there's been alcoholism in your family history, that's a weakness in your family history, don't drink. It's not that good. I drink alcohol, I like it, but it's not that good. So if there's weaknesses in your family line, we can break those curses in Jesus' name, yes, but those weaknesses will be there. And the enemy will revisit every generation trying to get you back into them. Now, God says after three generations, he says no more, yet his blessing goes down through a thousand generations. But the issue is if there are weaknesses in your family life, keep away from those things. Third point, develop meaningful family traditions. One of our great family traditions, starting from my own childhood, as long back as I can remember, is to sit around around the table in the evening, around the evening meal, talking, debating, laughing, crying, and raising all the world's problems and even solving a couple of them. The evening meal is a sacred event for all of us as a family, always has been. We have almost never eaten in front of the television. Why would we do that? Nothing would be more offensive to us as a family than to do that. We sit around the table and we enjoy a meal and we discuss and talk about everything. Sometimes it's just a riot We laugh and get to the point where whatever anybody tries to get serious, someone else is going to make a stupid statement, and at that point you just quit. Other times it's very serious and we laugh and cry together. Every Sunday night, this is one of our family traditions, we have a family dinner. We've done this forever. If I'm overseas and Linda and I'm overseas, my family just carry on doing it anyway. We're now a really big family and a blended family, so we mix it up a little bit. But every Sunday night, Linda and I are at one of the family's houses, and once a month, all of us, I don't know, you guys can count how many uh, adults are there and how many kids are there. It's a riot, but we still do it once a month. We all get together and share a family meal. Over the years, we've always had a rule. If anybody comes to visit or anyone's around, they join us on Sunday night for the family dinner. We've had plenty of non-Christians there as well as Christians. We're just ourselves. We don't put on any act or any graces. 
We just be ourselves. But God frequently comes up in the conversation and we have had the joy of praying for people at the end of those meetings and seeing many of them come to the Lord. Just by inviting them, Carl and Carla are the great ones to round people up from anywhere and say, hey, by the way, we've got these people. We just went to a restaurant, met them serving on our table, and now we've got them coming to dinner for Sunday night. This has had a significant impact on many people's lives. Develop your own traditions, whatever they are. Develop them and stand with them and bring the life out of them that God has for you in it. Fourth point, claim your blessings. Deuteronomy 28 verse 2 says, All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. There is a heap of unhelpful teaching on this passage that I don't have time to unpack at the moment about the blessings and curses of God. But let me just say this. Deuteronomy 28 starts by saying, If you obey, Yahweh will. Now just grab this. This was related to covenant, not rules. That's a huge difference when God calls the people to obey. He put a sacrificial system in place knowing they would sin and to pay that price. He's calling them to obey by grasping the relational basis of who he is under the basis of covenant, not rules. The Old Testament's focus is not rules, it's covenant. We really need to grab that. And all what was Bought by covenant, look it up in Genesis 15 where it starts, was an act of God's divine grace. But to accept a covenant was to come into a noble status and enjoy God's blessing. Now, I want to come back to this, but before I do, let me state this quickly. In Deuteronomy 28, there's three times as many curses as there are blessings. Now, listen to me here and get this point. Does God curse disobedience and does God curse unfaithfulness and does this bring God's anger and wrath down upon humanity? The answer is yes. The good news is God took it upon himself and placed that curse on Christ at the cross. Does God not care about disobedience? He cares greatly about it. Does sin rouse God's anger? Yes, it does. Does it provoke God to action? Yes, it does. And he took it out upon himself in the person of his son on the cross of Calvary and we are redeemed and the curse is paid for and we are set free. And if you've got family curses in your life, you get them dealt with in Jesus. Jesus' name, and don't go back into Deuteronomy 28 ever again and say, these curses belong from an angry God on top of my family because that's what Jesus died for and he has risen again and we must not let his death be in vain. We're free. 
Deuteronomy 28, all the curses are on the cross in Christ. We're free, brothers and sisters, and we need to grab that freedom, get into covenant with God, and go after all the blessings that are there and available to us in Christ Jesus. Amen? We need to hear that. I get furious. I watch heaps of preaching on TV. I get furious when I hear again and again, we are cursed people by disobeying God. Now, do I believe in obedience? Of course I do. Every page of scripture calls us to obedience. Sin has a horrible and ugly consequence because we reap what we sow. But even then, God can cut short that crop through our repentance and going back to the cross in Christ Jesus. And we need to understand that and stop letting the enemy tell us we're cursed. That's a lie. Sorry, that's a little bit of preaching on Deuteronomy 28. (laughs) Christ has also fulfilled the covenant of blessing. They are now all in him. They are by his grace. And we can expect to participate in them as we walk with him generationally. I see some freedom in my kids that is not in me. Because they haven't had to wrestle through some of the things I've had to wrestle with because they are the next generation. And it get the blessing of God grows through generational transfer if we allow it to. Now, I haven't just said that I'm stuck in some stuff because I've continually got to go to God and get into the process of transformation. But I see some wonderful freedom in my children because they knew the Lord from three or four or five years old, and I didn't have that luxury. Now, I'm talking about maturity and transformation. I'm not talking about sin and penalties and punishment. I hope you get the difference. Point four. Think wider than yourselves. If the central point of Christianity is the cross, my question to family, and as I've been telling you this morning, I love family, I'm further about family, but we have to ask ourselves, what does family die for? If the cross is about sacrificing our lives for something bigger and greater than us, what does family die for? What does it give itself up for? Well, the first and obvious answer is the church, the biblical community. And then we can ask the question, what does the church die for? And you can go home and wrestle with that. I'm not going there today, but there is an answer to it. We should all be part of a community that we are all involved in. Everybody here who is part of the Christian fellowship in Upper Hutt has a God-given role to play somewhere, somehow. However, there's many other things we can do, coming back to what should a family die for. What about doing a Christmas where instead of giving presents, you go and do something for others? Or you take the money set aside normally for buying presents and give it to another cause? There's a great family project. See, one of the things we have to learn in the Western world is a lot of our life is about stuff. My father wasn't a great hoarder, but outside his place right now in Sanford Street is a 10-yard, I think it's called a seven-point-something metre now, bin. And it's full of his stuff that nobody wanted. And it's going to the tip. 
even some of the things we did want and took will ultimately go to the tip. I've mentioned this before. Take your children one after Christmas one day and say, did you enjoy your presents and are you enjoying them? Yes. Do you realize they're all going to be here one day at the tip? See, life cannot be about stuff. Linda and I are still trying to de-stuff our house because I, you know, rather than leave all our kids a big clean-up job. But ultimately, all our stuff needs there. Do we really need more stuff, or do we need a transfer of wealth? My dad couldn't care less that this stuff's going to the tip. We'd even talked about it before he died. But what my dad does care about is the wealth that he transferred to us never goes to the tip, never falls to the ground. It goes to the next generation and keeps on going to the generation through in perpetuity. Is that the right word? I think it is. Is that the right word, Linda? (laughs) Okay. Finally, and I'm finished. Hold the territory you've gained. If you've broken out of alcoholism, don't go back there. If you've broken out of poverty, don't go back there. The issues you and your family have dealt with in life, don't ever give that ground back. Become familiar over and over again with the teaching we have done recently on the armor of God that will help you advance but also hold the ground you've already gained. Let me encourage you to do some website, some research on the website and begin creating a wealth portfolio. Build it for yourselves and your own life. It's all listed out there on the web. I've taught about it here. It is, it is in my book. Begin creating a wealth portfolio and watch what God does with it down through the generations over time. I want to finish. I'm going to put this up on the website as well. I want to finish. Dennis Peacock's just written a bottom line, which he writes every month. He's 72, 73 now. He makes this amazing statement. He said, what would I say to me? Now at 72, talking to me back 30 or 40 years ago, what would I say to me? What a wonderful question to finish off. Get the answers and impart those answers to everybody of a younger generation that you have influence over. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Lord, we thank you that your vision is so great that as a family, as a church or community here, we cannot achieve it in one generation. Lord, we feel enriched by the gray hair that is in this meeting and by the way it started with that wonderful video clip. We are enriched also by all the young people coming through. Father, may we stand together And as we are together, may we see all that is in Christ, the treasure and the wealth that you've put amongst it, amongst us. And may we take it and express it in a way that brings glory to you and life to this world and this community, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I am not sure who is finishing, but... Jesse.
I hope you were blessed this morning. I certainly was. There was a theme coming through for me this weekend anyways. I've been had the privilege of going to the Arise Conference as well. I know I saw some of them on Friday night. And yesterday, Jensen Franklin talked on generational transfer, and he talked on the bloodline that we have. And one of the things that we can all take solace in and that, is that we are part of the bloodline of Jesus, that when we come under his rule and reign, when we give our lives to him, we get the generational blessings that he has actually passed down. And he went into talking about David and that David's kids walked away from the Lord at times and did some kind of silly things as we all have a tendency to do at times. But I, he said something 305 year, five years later, God was continually saying, because of the promises that I gave to my servant David, I will still be faithful to you. So I'm just blessed this morning by um, the word that we got from Bruce, and I hope you're encouraged to continue sowing seeds into those that are below and beneath. And I've, I was so blessed. I had the chance to be there during the filming of the video with some of the pillars. And I was personally just so blessed even being there and hearing some of the stories that came out. So we're really grateful for you sharing. We want to honor you for the wisdom that you have. And we really appreciate all that you do for us. So if we just pray one more time and then we'll go ahead and we've got, um, you know, oh, like we always do, some goodies out there for morning tea, etc. So God, we bless your name, Father. There is no one like you, Jesus. Lord, we give honor today those to whom honor is due. Father God, we honor the generations that have come before us, Father. Lord, let us learn from their wisdom and let us build on that which they have already built, Father God. We thank you for the founders that we have even still with us with Hudson and Joan, Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would just bless them, Father God, that we can continue walking out that which God stirred in their hearts. Lord, I pray that you would give us a new awareness and a new ability to communicate that which you have placed in our hearts to those that are around us and that come after us, Father. Lord, we give you so much glory because you are worthy, Father. Lord, we're so grateful that we're we're in your bloodline. Jesus, we commit this day and this week to you, Father God, and we just bless your mighty name. And God's people said, amen. Bless you guys as you go out for today.